0: on homosexuality. This is part two now. The reason is because we have been preaching through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, preaching through the Abraham section, which we're about to finish, came across a famous scene, a scene of judgment on cities called Sodom and Gomorrah, and that brought us face-to-face with this topic of homosexuality, a topic that is obviously very live and, and difficult in ways in our culture today. So we wanted to think about this topic from the Bible. And the reason is really twofold, that we would be clear on what the Bible teaches and compassionate as the Bible commands. And so we're trying to capture both of those things from God's Word. Last week, Joshua taught us, taught us especially on the clarity peace. this piece more, this week rather, more on the compassionate side as we process our response together. Joshua's going to pray for us to that end.
1: Well, before... I pray for us. I just want to just briefly highlight two things so we can dive in after Mindy reads the passage. Um, And the first is that we still have a few more copies of this book on the back table, Is God Anti-Gay? These are free of charge for you to take. It is a wonderful resource for us to help um, think through that biblical clarity and biblical compassion on this topic. So please take them on the back table. They're yours free of charge. If you go back there and there's not one there, let me know. Let Tiff know, and we will order more, and they'll be here next Sunday. Um, secondly, as you may have seen in your bulletins there is we do have a, a Q&A after service on the topic of the Bible and homosexuality. We realize that there's so much more that needs to be said, so much more than could be said than we've covered in last week's sermon or we're going to cover um, today. So please come to that Q&A. It's going to be at 1145 in the conference room there in the back, and we will just take some time to talk um, about these things and see how we as elders can best come alongside you guys here um, to think about these things. Well, with that in mind let me pray that God would meet us this that God would meet us this morning oh father in heaven Lord we thank you so much for your your kindness to us Lord in revealing yourself your heart your will your good purposes for us in your word Lord this morning I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truths in your word Lord that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear, Lord, what kind of people you are calling us to be, what kind of community that you would desire us to be, specifically as we think through the topic of homosexuality, Lord. So meet us, we pray. Amen.
0: Good morning. Join me as I get to read his holy word, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Mm -hmm. The Word of the Lord.
1: Mm, Thanks be to God. Well, as Tab mentioned, uh, as we were thinking about this topic here, the Bible and homosexuality, we realized that two sermons would be helpful for us um, just in terms of making sure that we are, are having biblical clarity and biblical compassion here on this issue last week we spent um, we spent the whole sermon really looking at desiring to have biblical clarity to to understand what does the bible say about homosexuality what does what does the bible say about same-sex sexual behavior and i hope that just by the power of the holy spirit through the clarity of the word you were able to see see with clarity here that the the sinfulness of same-sex sexual Behavior, And this week, we're, we're primarily going to consider our response because the truth is that we can't not have one. We can't not have a response. God has, has called the church to be the pillar and buttress of the truth, and we are called to speak God's words of light and life into our culture, into the world around us. We're, we're, we're called to hold out Jesus' words, his, his words that Jesus says bring freedom so we must respond and i think that there are there are two elements to our response we need to show and we need to tell it's almost like we're we're in kindergarten again that that's how how easy it is for us we need to show And we need to tell. Last week, we spent a lot of time looking at the tell part. We looked at at what the Bible teaches in the Old Testament and in in the New Testament to see what it has to say about same sex sexual behavior. And and I hope that you saw how how it calls that sinful in no matter what what context, no matter what relationship. And to be faithful to God's word and, and to show God's love to the world around us, we can't shrink from declaring this truth, from from calling sin, sin. But as I also mentioned last week, faithfulness here means not just telling the world what we're against, but telling the world what we're for. And so we need to do, we need to do the hard work of, of telling a better story of God's good purposes and his good designs for our sexuality. We need to, the story we tell to the world needs to be one that highlights how, how God invented sex. It was his idea. It's one of his good gifts to us designed to flourish in its context of marriage, of a covenant union between a man and a woman, we need to, to tell the story that sex just isn't an end in itself, but it's one that points to God's faithful and passionate love for his people. There's certainly much more that this, to this better story that needs to be told to the world around us, but we need to tell at least those. So before we continue here to look at the show piece, I just want to briefly speak to our youth, briefly speak to our, our young adults in here. I am very aware that the culture that you are growing up in, the, the world, the water that you're swimming in is very different from that, that from what I experienced. And I'm, and I'm only 32 years old. I don't think I'm much older than a number of our young adults in here. But the, the world, the culture is just so different from what I experienced know, the water that you're swimming in here, it says that there is, there is nothing wrong with homosexuality. In fact, it says that there's nothing wrong with anything as long as you're not hurting someone else. That's the the story that you're being told day in and day out. It seems like the only thing that's not tolerated today is any form of intolerance. I know that there's a lot of pressure on you, and it's only going to increase more and more, to abandon what the Bible says about, ho- about human sexuality, about what the Bible clearly teaches about homosexual behavior. And I just want to appeal to you do not let the truths of the Bible go. Do not pass these by. Don't move on in the sake of, of tolerance in the name of love, but let us cling to the truths of God's word that are for our good, for God's glory. Let us hold on to those. Let us proclaim those. Let us tell those. And as we're going to see, let us be a people who show the goodness to the world around us. If you're confused, if you have any questions about the Bible's teaching or what that looks like in terms of how we interact with others, I just want to invite you to come to the Q&A after service today, uh, back there at 1145. Come, please come. We will prioritize any of the questions from those my age or younger in the Q&A, because we want to come alongside you. We want to equip you to speak God's word to the world around us. So please come. Well, thank you for letting me do that. So that's the first part of our responses is to tell. We need to speak God's truth. But, the, but there's a second part to our response to homosexuality and one that's just as important and maybe even more so. And that's the show part, the show of the show and tell. It, it speaks to, to the public witness of our lives and our communities. You see that we can't just talk the talk but we need to walk the walk. Our lives individually and our lives as a community, they need to show the world the beauty of the Christian vision of sexuality. As one pastor puts it, he says that it's the church being the church in all of its biblical fullness that will most commend God's ways to the wider society. It's the church being the church in all of its biblical fullness that will most commend God's ways to the wider society. And for the, res- for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to think together about what this looked like. What does it look like for the church to be the church? And I think it means at least three things for us. At this point, I just want to apologize. Your outlines on the back of your bulletin are a little different than what we're going with here. I made a last-minute change, and it was too late. So the new outline is going to be up there on the screen. But first, it means that we need to have hearts of compassion. For the church to be the church, it means that we need to have hearts of compassion. That when we think of those who, who have embraced the, a gay li- the gay lifestyle and everything that comes with it, when, when we think of our neighbors or our coworkers, those who, who are in same sex marriages, more than anything, our first response is our hearts should break. We should feel grief, we should be brought to tears over their lostness, over the fact that those who have embraced this lifestyle, those who are living those lives, are not experiencing the good that God desires for them. And unfortunately, I don't know that this is our first reaction It's certainly not for evangelicalism as a whole. As I was reading and preparing for this sermon, I I came across a study that that asked young Christians what the first thing that came to their mind was when asked about what do they think of Christians. And a full 91% of young non-Christians, the first response, the first words out of their mouth was anti-homosexual. If that wasn't bad enough, the second response was judgmental. I mean, anti-homosexual, judgmental, that, that should not be the two words that most define our Christian response to the world around us. When the world looks at the church, those should be two of the last words that ever come to their mind. Church, I don't know that we are doing a good job. I think from this study, and I'm I'm sure you're aware of, of countless others, it's clear that those outside the walls of the church, and it's certainly true that those in the LGBT community don't think of Christians as having hearts of compassion towards them. And sadly, even as I look at my own heart, I think I would have to agree with them. All too often when I'm driving in my car and I see one of those equal sign stickers or, or when I'm at the store or at a restaurant and I see a same-sex couple in the booth next to me or at the, the table next to me, my first reaction is usually self-righteousness. It's amazing how fast I can go from trying to, to love and care for my wife or to care for my children or to, to be doing anything, how fast I can go from that to being the Pharisee in Jesus' parable quickly thanking God that I am not like them. Thanking God that I am not a sinner like them, that I don't sin in that way. It's, just, it, it's saddening, it is so troubling in my heart this week. I've just found myself repenting time and time again as I'm just so aware that that is the, the gut reaction that I have towards this sin. And I'm not sure that I'm alone. For some reason, it seems to me that we have just elevated this sin above all others. We have made this sin seem worse or more offensive in God's sight. I'm sure we would, we would never answer that question on a test. We might never say that out loud, but that's, that's what's functioning in our hearts for us. That is, that's what's happening in our hearts and in our minds. In church, this shouldn't be the case, and this can't be the case for us. The church, more than any other community, should be a people defined by having hearts of compassion towards everyone else because we have been shown great compassion ourselves. Church, we need to be a community that has hearts of compassion because God has shown us compassion. We experience God's kindness and grace towards us in jesus as we saw last week as we heard mindy read earlier such were some of us we can't exclude ourselves from the list of those sins up there each and every one of us if we are here if you have experienced the grace of god in your life such were some of you and your experience of god's grace of god's kindness to you in jesus is meant to fill your heart with compassion towards those who are lost, those who are in any sinful lifestyle, whether it's homosexual or anything else. Our experience of compassionate is meant to make us compassionate people, turning us outwards, especially towards those in the LGBT community. This is a, this is a compassion that compels us to, to genuinely seek to get to know those who are gay, those who are lesbian, those who are transgender, however they want to define themselves we want to be people who go to them. We want to invite them into our homes. We want to go invite ourselves. We want to go over to their homes, share meals with them, build genuine friendships with them as we listen to their stories and as we share ours. And as we do this, we'll, we'll, we'll come to see that we're modeling something of Jesus' compassionate heart. I always find it so interesting to see Jesus' interactions towards people in the Gospels. Especially how he seems to go out of his way to interact with those that the religious elite, the religious around them, have written off as the worst of the sinners. Those that the the religious people would never touch with a 10-foot pole, they would never be around. Jesus goes out of his way. To, in, to build relationships with them. He goes out of his way to interact with them, to connect with them, and to be around them. I think this is, this is especially clear in Luke's gospel where, where, where time and time again, I think it's five or six times, we read that, we, that Jesus is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus didn't keep at arm's length those that the Pharisees and the other religious people thought dirty, but Jesus opened up his arms to them he invited them to his table. He went to their tables, and he shared a meals with them. He took part in their parties and their celebrations, church. And our compassionate heart is meant to do the same for us. It is meant to open our arms that we might invite them in, that we might genuinely seek to care and to love those that the religious around us keep at an arm's length. What's amazing here is that Jesus didn't seem the least bit concerned that his presence would would be taken to me in his approval of their lifestyles. And this speaks to a, to, a, to a danger that we can all fall into, especially as we think about building relationships with those in the LGBT community. Because all too often, we, 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 there's this need, there's this, this feeling that we have that we, we have to let them know if we're going to get to know them, if we're going to build relationships with them, we have to let them know up front that we disagree with their lifestyles. But we just don't see Jesus doing that. We never see Jesus qualify his interactions. When, when, when he calls Matthew to himself and, and Matthew throws this great feast where sinners and tax collectors are coming over and Jesus reclines at a table with them, he just goes. We don't read that he says, sure, I'll share a meal with you, but first let me tell you what I think about extortion. Let me, let me lay that on the table so you're, so you're clear I don't agree with your lifestyle. That's not what Jesus did. But he opened his arm. He sat at their tables. For many of us, for some reason, we would just never think to do that for any other sin. But for some reason, the sin of of homosexuality or sexual sin in general, we just feel this compelling need to do that. But we can't do that. Because the truth is, if there is someone who is in the LGBT community and they know you're a Christian, guess what? They already know you don't agree with their lifestyle. Do you know what, if they are in the LGBT community, chances are what they think you think of them is far worse than what you actually think of them. Because the truth is they probably think that you think they're disgusting and that you hate them. Church, when we interact with them, when we build relationships with them, and right out of the gate we have to let them know that we don't agree with their lifestyles, all we are doing all we are doing is just confirming their worst suspicions about us church we can be like jesus we can be with people whom we don't agree with their lifestyles and we can accept them without approving of their lifestyle we can show them the love of jesus the love that accepts without having to approve that's important for us to keep in mind i was reminded of the conversion of rosaria butterfield I think her conversion is a, is a powerful example of, of what can happen when we model Jesus's example of having a compassionate heart towards others. Many of you, or some of you might be familiar with her story, but... Rosaria Butterfield was a, was a very out and proud lesbian professor at Syracuse University. She was leading the way in developing um, like same-sex union, healthcare benefits, doing all that stuff and helping the, her university and others around the world develop policies for couples who are in same-sex marriages. She was very into that lifestyle. She accepted it. And in the middle of research for a book where she was, gonna, she was writing a book about the Christian community, about the religious right, and their policies, their procedures, and their narratives of hatred towards gay people. She thought, well, if I'm going to be fair in doing this, I, I need to, to meet with these people who hate me, who hate my lifestyle. And through this friendship that she, that he, she made with this pastor Ken and his wife, God used those interactions where they opened up their door, they invited her into their home, and for over two years, she saw the love of God that accepted her as a human being made in the image of God, even though she knew they didn't accept her lifestyle. But for two years, they showed her the love of Christ with their daily practices of hospitality, accepting her without approving of her lifestyle. And church, God used this to bring her to the foot of the cross, where she saw who Jesus was and she saw that she was so much more than her sexual identity. And church, God wants to use us in the exact same ways. Oh man, would that we would be a community, that we would model Jesus's compassionate heart towards those the world looks at or considers sinners and tax collectors, those that the religious have written off Church, let's be praying that this can be said of us, that that Grace Church would be known around town, around San Diego as the church who hangs out with, with those that the religious have written off. And church, the only thing that's gonna drive us to do that, the only thing that's gonna compel us to do that is remembering our experience of God's grace, to remember the compassion that Jesus had on us when he opened our eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Because as long as we're looking up to God for salvation, we cannot look down on anyone else. (laughs) As long as we are looking up to God for salvation, we cannot look down on anyone else. God's grace and compassion towards us, it shatters any sense of superiority that we can have in our hearts So if you're here and like me, you find that there's this temptation in your own heart to to look down on others, to feel hesitant about reaching out or or building relationships, those that you you would put in your own personal category of sinner and tax collector. Then first, church, we need to repent of that sin. We need to confess our lack of love for those who are made in the image of God. We need to receive God's grace towards us. And next, we need to ask God. We need to be on our knees asking God that he would give us hearts of compassion. That when we see those who are living in darkness, that our hearts might break. That like Paul, we would, we would be brought to tears when we see those who are living as enemies of the cross. We need God's help to have compassion like this. And when we ask God, when when we ask God for a compassionate heart, when we ask God that we might look like Jesus, then we need to be ready because something special is going to start to happen in our hearts as God changes us. So church, let's be people who repent if necessary in this area. And all of us, let's ask God to make us this community where we have hearts of compassion. So that's that's the first show, is we want to have hearts of compassion. Second, we want to build loving communities. Rather than than, uh, just saying what we're against, we need to show what we're for by building loving communities. We need to show the world why we embrace Jesus' vision of sexuality and how beautiful it is. Jesus said that others would know that we're Christians, they would know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. And this is especially important as we consider our response to to the sin of, of homosexuality. Because as Robert, Rosaria Butterfield, as she, she mentioned, she's mentioned multiple times, one of the, one of the biggest strengths of the, of the LGBT community, one of the most compelling things about that community is their love and their care for one another. And this must be true of us in the church today, even more so. You see the, the Christian sexual ethic, we don't we don't have the biggest celebrity endorsements around, we don't have the most attractive or eloquent spokespeople, but we should have the most wonderful and attractive communities. I love what Tav was saying earlier, how we are we are more than a meeting and that needs to characterize our life together, that it is not just here but we need to be building loving communities outside this body, outside the community center. We we are showing the world what a loving community looks like. So much of so much of uh, so much of that when or we need to be have this attractive community so much so that when the world looks at us that they want in on the action that they want to be a part of what's going on. I was I was reminded of what Francis Schaefer used to often say, where he would say that the most uh, that the Christian community is the most compelling apologetic. And this is definitely what's gonna be needed of us as we seek to to make inroads in the LGBT community as we speak, seek to to build those relationships. We need to be the church, being the church in all of its biblical fullness. And certainly there's a lot that can be said about what our life together should look like, but I just wanna highlight two things that I think are, are vital for our life together. And the first is that our our communities, they need to be places where our sins and our struggles are safe and easy to talk about. I mentioned this last, last week. But the best way, but we need to be the type of place where we can come together, where we can be open and honest with what's going on in our own lives. Not feeling like we need to hide or pretend like everything is okay. Because because the truth is it's simply not true for, for any of us in here. It's not true for me and it's not true for you. No matter what any of us would say, none of us are fine. <laughs> none of us are fine. No matter what you said when you were walking into the church this morning to the greeters, the truth is we're not fine because we all sin, we all struggle. The Apostle John tells us that if we don't think we sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But rather than deceive ourselves, we want to be a community that walks in the light, that has fellowship with each other. Fellowship where the fences of our lives come down, where the masks come off, and, we can, and where the masks can come off and where we can be open and honest with one another. And as we share our sins, as we share our struggles, as we share our temptations, we can receive God's love for us. We can be cared for by God's people, we can be accepted and supported. Church, when this is happening, it is a powerful witness to the world around us. Because where else can we go where we can share the hardest and the darkest things in our lives with the assurance that we're going to be supported and loved? This is, this is what we all desire. We all desire to be known and to be loved And this is exactly what God is calling our Christian communities to look like. They are to be places where we are seeking to know others and love them. And we are seeking to be known and to be loved. And the amazing thing that God is calling us to be like this, because this is exactly what God is like towards us. You see, God knows each of us and he loves us in spite of what he sees. God has seen all of the things in our lives that we would never post on Instagram, the things in our lives that we would never post on Facebook, and he loves us regardless. And this is exactly what our communities are, are supposed to be like. We're to, build loving, we're to build loving communities as we make them places where our sins and our struggles are easy to talk about, as we are leading by our example and sharing where we need help. That's the, that's the first step in building a, a loving community And secondly, we need to remember that the church is a family. Not that the church is is like a family, which is so often how I tend to think about it. But we need to remember that the church is a real family. This is exactly what Jesus tells us in Mark 10. At some point, uh, Peter responds to Jesus and he acknowledges to Jesus. He says, look, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left our, our houses, we've left our mothers, we've left our brothers, we've left our sisters. We've left everything to follow you. And in response to their sacrifice, Jesus tells them that they will receive 100-fold in this life, mothers and brothers, sisters and mothers. Jesus is, is telling us that even though the, the gospel can be relationally costly, it's also relationally generous. Jesus wants to see that, that what we leave behind, and, the, and I know for some of you it has been very costly, the sacrifices that you have made in accepting the, the, the Christian Christianity and, and coming to Christianity. But no matter what we leave behind, Jesus wants us to see that it doesn't compare with what we receive back from him. Because we're not losing brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and gaining distant cousins or or great uncles that we see every once in a while. But we're gaining a hundredfold brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, the closest relationships that we can have in our lives. That is what God is giving to us. That is what our church is to look like. It is to look like the family of God. And that's what we are here in this room. We are each other's brothers and sisters. We are our mothers and our fathers. Is this how you is this how you think about the church? Do you, do you see your relationships with the, with the members here of Grace Church, East County as deeper and more fundamental to your identity than whatever your nuclear or natural family relationships are? Seems to me that that's what this passage and others in the gospels are trying to help us see. They're helping us to see the importance of our church family. Now, now please don't, don't, don't hear me saying that the, the nuclear family is not important. That's not, it's not what I'm saying here. I believe that God created the family, that it's one of the, that it's one of the most fundamental and important institutions in our society. But, but I do think that Jesus is teaching here and in other places is, is, is meant to teach us the importance of our spiritual family to the point that we see our church family, our spiritual family, as just as important, if not more so, than our natural or our nuclear families. It helps us see that our re- relationships with those in the body of Christ in our local and church are just as important as our families. And church, I just want to commend you. I think that we do this well I just think through everything that's happened in, in my life over the last seven years here as a part of this church and just the countless meals that have been brought at the birth, the birth of our son, uh, the countless meals that were brought as we experienced a significant amount of loss in the last six months and just the love and the care that we received. At one point, I think it hit me more clearly than any others. So I'm not gonna call her out because um, I'm not gonna call her out, but, but at some point, someone in our, in our home group offered to do our laundry. I mean, to me, that was like, paradigm-shattering. I did not have a category for someone in the church offering to do our laundry. But that is just an amazing picture of what the church as a family is meant to look like. And I just want to commend you. I think that you do this well. But I do wonder here if this picture of the church as a family can, can be a bit of a little corrective for us in terms of how we think about the singles in our midst. How do we, we think about the singles in, in terms of how intentional are we in relating and reaching out to them? How, how open are the doors of our house to those in our community who are single? I... I, I I know that we we do a lot of things well, I just wonder if that's an area where we can can grow, where we can be more intentional of understanding and relating to the day in and day out realities of those in our our church who who are not married, who are not going home every day to a a husband or a wife, to children, whatever that might look like. I just, just wonder if God might have us, as we think about the church as a family, have a might just want to have us consider how we might grow in showing to the world what the church as a family looks like. This is what it's going to take to build loving communities. We need to, to make it easy to talk about our sins and our struggles. And we need to see the church as our real family. And as we're doing these things, we need to invite others outside the walls of our church into these communities to see it. Because, because our loving communities, as we seek and work to build these loving communities that sees the church as a family, they're not meant to be exclusive, but they're to be something that the world around us sees. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Jesus says that they will see your love for one another and they will know that you are my disciples so let's just consider how we can position ourselves and our church communities where those outside the walls of our church can see our love and our care for one another we can do this as we we host events as home groups where we're intentionally inviting others and we can do this as we open our homes and we invite our neighbors and our coworkers. we invite those from our church to come over that they might see us living life together so so far we've seen that our response means having hearts of compassion and building loving communities. And lastly, our response are showing the world what we believe. It means believing in the power of the gospel. At the heart of our response towards homosexuality is the belief in the power of the gospel to change hearts and minds. Because at the end of the day, no matter how compassionate our hearts, no matter how loving our communities, we have no hope that those in the LGBT community will be saved apart from a work of divine grace in their lives. Because this is the only thing that's able to change any of us in this room. I hope that that you're seeing as we've been going through how we are to respond to the sin of homosexuality that while it is unique in some ways, there are some unique factors we want to have in mind. On the whole, our response to those who who are are in homosexuality, who are in a homosexual lifestyle, our response is on the whole not unique from the way we respond to any other sin. Because the heart of our response to sin, to any sin, is The gospel. It's the good news that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he paid the penalty for our sins, making us right with God. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we are enabled and we are empowered to become more like Jesus. That's what I love about that passage Mindy read for us earlier from 1 Corinthians 6. It shows us how the gospel is for everyone because we are all sinners in need of the same grace that Jesus is freely offering each of us in the gospel. It's only in the gospel that we, it's in the gospel that we can remember that such were some of us that we've been been washed, that we've been sanctified, and that we have been justified. It's only the gospel help that helps us or helps anyone see that Jesus is better than any sin that we've given ourselves over to. It's that, it's that expulsive power of a new affection as a Puritan Thomas Chalmers once written. It's the gospel as, as we see that our hearts, that where we once sought satisfaction in, in the things of the world, where now we look to Jesus and we see Jesus is better. We see Jesus as more satisfying, as more beautiful than any of our sins. That's why we want to believe in the power of the gospel to change us because of the promise of the gospel that Jesus is better. Jesus' is the great, Jesus's greatest gift to us is the gift of himself. He's the only one who can satisfy our deepest emotional and spiritual needs. And that is why we want to believe in the power of the gospel because it's only the power of the gospel that brought change into our lives. And it's only the power of the gospel that is going to bring change to the lives of those around us. If you're here and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, if you're here and, and you would just have a lot of questions or pushback about some of the things that I'm saying here this morning, I just want to thank you for being here. And I would just want to invite you to look to Jesus, to see him as better and as more satisfying than anything that you're giving yourself over to. Because as 1 Corinthians is clear, as 1 Corinthians 6 is clear, that those whose lives are characterized by any unrepentant sin, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the alternative to inheriting the kingdom of God, of being with Jesus, of seeing him and becoming like him, is eternal separation from the presence of the Lord, what the Bible calls hell. The, the, the choice that we have is to turn, to look to Jesus, to to find our satisfaction and our meaning in him. Or we can turn away, we can look to the things of this world, and the Bible tells us that if that's our choice, if that's our response, that the end is separation from him, the only one who can satisfy, in an eternity spent in hell away from his presence. So if that's you, I just want to invite you to turn to Jesus, to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. Well, as we've seen, the, the power of the gospel is our only hope for salvation, but we also need to see that, that the gospel is our only hope for change in this life as well, because it's only the gospel that enables and empowers any of us, no matter what our sin is, to change and to become more like Jesus. As I was reminded this last week, it's the gospel that frees us to say no to sin and to say yes to God. And I'm not preaching perfection here. As long as we're in this fallen world with fallen bodies, we are going to sin, we are going to be tempted, we are going to give in to those temptations. But thankfully, because of the grace of God, because of the power of the gospel, those sins, those things no longer define us. Remember what Paul says, such were some of us. And through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're being changed from one degree of glory to another into the image of Jesus. So church, let us look to the gospel. Let us look to the power of the gospel that has changed our hearts and that is changing us from one degree of glory to another, where as we see Jesus, we become like him. The gospel gives us hope for change. As we look to Jesus, we become more and more like him. This is the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that Jesus saves sinners like us. And in the process, he's making all of us more like Jesus. This this truth has to be at the heart of our response to homosexuality because like each and every one of us, this is the truth that our hearts most need. And this is the truth, the only thing that can change us. So what does our unique but not so unique response to homosexuality look like? Well, friends, it looks like the church being the church in all of its biblical fullness as we have hearts of compassion, as we build loving communities, and as we believe in the power of the gospel. Because as we do these things, we are showing the world what God's like. And as we close our service, I want to invite the band to come up. I want to release the ushers. Because as we close our service, we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we want to do this because the Lord's Supper itself is a weekly reminder for us of all that God is like towards us. I mean, just think about it. You see, the Lord's Supper tangibly shows us God's, hearts of compa- God's heart of compassion towards us as we're once again invited to his table to feast with him, not because of how great we are, but because of his great love for us, that he's still eating and drinking with sinners like us. The gospel displays God's vision of a loving communities as we look, as we can, as we, as we're once again, um, as we, sorry, as the church comes together, as we we come forward together, and as we partake of the common loaf, displaying our love and our union with each other that flows from our union with Christ. As we, the Lord's Supper displays our union, the loving community that we're to have. And lastly, the bread and the cup they remind us each of the great power of the gospel in each of our lives as we look to Jesus and we can remember his great love for us that enabled us to see the beauty of Jesus and through faith how the bread and the cup are nourishing and strengthening our faith giving us the grace that we need for change as we seek to become more like Jesus and we want to do this we do this each week because on the night when Jesus was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you in the same way he took the cup after supper giving thanks he blessed it and said this is the this is my blood which is poured out for you for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes church and we picture our loving response to the world around us so in just a moment i'm going to pray and when you're ready i invite you to come down the outside aisles and receive a piece of the bread receive a cup with wine or juice and as you take them Reflect on who God is towards you and reflect on what God is inviting you to be to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, for your love and your compassion towards us, sinners and tax collectors. Father, I pray that as we partake of this meal, Lord, that you would give us the grace that we need, Lord, to to believe the words that we've heard, Lord, and to walk in the good of them. Meet us, we pray, amen. When you're ready, you may come forward.